What's up? Oh, what, what happened to John? Where did John go? <laughs> oh man, that's funny. He probably got called out. What's up, Ed? I guess I'll, I I'm doing the intro. Welcome to the Daily Hi-Fi Show. Today we have Ed Mullen. Oh, there's Shada. Oh, he's getting down. I ate already, so I'm, I'm good to go in that area. That's hilarious. <laughs> we have Ed Mullen and says here that you're the Senior Director of Technology and Customer Service. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. Technology and Customer Service. Those are, yeah, Customer Service is tough. Chana should know. Oh, yeah. That's, no, I don't like that stuff. You know, it, it, if you're going to do customer service, it's got to run in your blood and, and you have to have an innate ability uh, and passion for taking care of people, uh, helping them get to a better place in their audio setup and their system on their audio journey. Uh, it, it's very gratifying uh, to to work in customer service. So it's uh, it's always been a passion of mine. Uh, and, and of course, the technology end uh, is is fun and I've always enjoyed uh, working with product development and and describing how our products fit into the into the uh, you know audio world and video world and into our marketplace. Yeah, I mean, you just have to have a lot of patience. I think, I think the intention is good, but some people need patience, a little yeah. bit more hand holding than others. And uh, yeah, you just that's an acquired skill, Joe. Over the, over the years, Achana can probably attest to that. Uh, some some customers are super users and and super technically adept, and other ones not so much. So you have yeah. to understand how to speak to your audience, uh, uh, and understand what their technical level of understanding is, and communicate in in their terms. Um, so you're always adjusting uh, as you go on the fly with uh, customer service. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I teach music. I teach piano and guitar to seven year old kids all the way up to like thirty year old adults. So yeah, patience is patience is key. Yep. For sure. So I know I know all about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Well, I'm glad to have you. I've been asking to have you on for a while. Been bugging Nick. Like, I, want, I, need, I need to get Ed on here. Because a lot of times on their um, on their happy hours, you know, they're doing their thing. And I've talked to Nick and, um, you know, talked to him a lot. Uh, and the Larry. The Larry. And you probably oh. said, hey, how come you guys aren't doing more lightning round questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, but anyway I, like i hear you uh you know you chime in i'm like i want to hear more from that guy i yeah. feel like a lot of times companies need to show like uh more the 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 engineering side you know i think maybe they think that people aren't interested but this is uh i at least our audience or maybe just me i don't know i'm interested i want to hear what you have to say and i want to dive more into the stuff that you've talked about well the tech side is fun and and when I have an opportunity to do, to do a deeper dive with a, a, a sort of a super user, high level customer, it, it's fun because you're sort of communicating on the same level. You have a similar understanding. They're bringing high level topics to you like Rumi Q wizard plots and MSO uh, of data and placement and phasing and time alignment. And, and it's, you know, room treatments, maybe base traps, panels, diffusers. So it, it's kind of fun to get into uh, sort of a tech, you know, nerd out and geek out for a while. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I got to speak with uh, Dr. Floyd Tool today. Oh, happened really? To be, wow. It happened to be his birthday today. So happy birthday to Dr. Floyd Tool. And, that man uh, is a legend in yes. the industry. Yes. And, uh, you know, ask him some questions. And it's just very interesting. Though I love to debate even. It doesn't even have to be like full agreement on everything, 
But when you respect what the other person says, it's like, I have to take into account that this person has put a lot of thought into this. And so you, well, you can't just come with like silly questions. You know, <laughs> if I ask when, him a question, I need to think. <laughs> it out. When I always say when Floyd, when Floyd tool speaks, you shut your mouth and you listen because <laughs> for me too. he is the man um, and is a legend in the industry and so knowledgeable that it's humbling. Uh, if you have an opportunity to look at his work, um, his writings, listen to him speak. Uh, he's, he's an amazing person. Yes. I full agreement. So happy birthday, Dr. Floyd tool. How old is he? I don't, I don't know. I don't ask. You didn't things, ask but he seems, he seems very uh, energetic. Let's just say nice. that. Um, you know, when I emailed you, you had some questions here, like some common questions. And I thought it might be interesting to kind of go over some of these. Um, maybe our audience might know some of this, but maybe if you're new and this is the first time you've ever tuned in and you trying to figure out how to tune your subs or what subs to get, things like that. Maybe we can cover some we of got, We got a lot of technical questions and, and frankly, you know, for the for the normal user, if you open up the manual on your AVR and try and decipher it, it's just your eyes glaze over and it's mumbo jumbo. So we sort of we know how to cut through all of that noise and what matters and what doesn't in the setup. And and also, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen it. You're on auto setup and and as good as it, as, good as it is, it, it makes mistakes sometimes that need to be corrected. Um, so we see we see a lot of that uh, and also misunderstanding of terms and, and what actually is happening with base management. So that's mm -hmm. a lot of our a lot of our tech topics uh, surround base management. Or, or Chana, do you want to share your experience here? Uh, what you what happened with your son? My, my, my big my big boo boo. So <laughs> I was I was I had run um, I had run Dirac and um, I have the PB 1000 pro. And so, you know, everything was sounding good. And then that was in this, in this room. And then I, I was messing around with our toolkit and the, the crossover section where it'll just play tones and um, it'll go from 260 down to like 16 Hertz. So you can see where to put the crossover. And I was just like, man, there's this big suck out at like 80 Hertz. I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? You know? And I had the subwoofer off because, uh, you know, trying to do it like full range. And then I realized, yeah, my subwoofer was not set up properly. Like mm -hmm. that's that's why there's a big old problem. What I didn't turn on. I didn't turn on the app. <laughs> my subwoofer wasn't set to LFE or, or 120. It was set to 60 hertz. Oh. I was like, oh, no wonder. No yeah, wonder low pass turned on at 60. Yeah, that'll cause that'll cause a problem. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, no, it was very eye opening. I'm like, damn. Now I got to run everything again. Yeah, that's a common one too, Joe. Uh, where do I set the low pass on my subwoofer? Well, is it a two-channel system where it's sending a full-range signal? Or is it an AV processor where it's already been low passed? Mm -hmm. That's a common one too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just thought it was interesting because uh, automatic room correction wouldn't tell you that. It wouldn't say, hey, there's an issue here. Your sub is seems like there's something wrong with your sub. Just lets it do it. Yeah, and, it uh, just does its thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. It would see a low pass in the system and say, "Okay, that's the best the subwoofer can do," and and it would equalize up to sixty, and then allow it to roll off. It wouldn't try and force the issue and overcome the low pass. So you gotta, you got do gotta be careful about that. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, before we go into some of the questions that you 
you brought up in the email. Let's go backwards. Let's start with a, a complicated question, a complex one or advanced one. Okay. And then, you know, normally we start from easy and go up, but let's let's start with this one here. Thank you for the super chat. Um, how do I say this? Bader? Bader. Almansor. There you go. Sound looks good to me. Thank you for the super chat. And he says, what is your thoughts and uh, your thoughts and Sir Ed Mullen <laughs> on MSO multi-sub woofer optimization pros and cons versus REW software uh, with two SVS PB16 subwoofers and proud owner? All right. You know, we're, we're seeing more and more usage of MSO. It's a very powerful program. Uh, it, it, it's, it's about as automated as it can get. Um, and it, it delivers fantastic results. I think it really comes into its own when you're doing three and four subwoofers where the, the uh, solution becomes rather complex and you're looking at individual frequency responses and how all the subs are interacting and, and the standing wave profile in the room. Uh, with, with two, and Rumi Q Wizard really, I think, is, is the standard bearer in the industry right now. It's what everybody's running. Rumi Q Wizard is a is a, a little bit less automated and a, a little bit more hands on. Uh, it allows you to use your own PEQ filters or maybe something uh, from Mini DSP if you want to use an external uh, uh, correction. And uh, you know, with two subwoofers, I think you could get away with uh, Rumi Q Wizard and and phasing the two subs and the onboard PEQs that we offer. There's three PEQs per subwoofer, so. I, I like Rumi Q Wizard simply because I'm, I'm more hands-on and I like to look at what happens when I do this, what happens when I implement this PEQ or what happens when I set the phase to a certain uh, uh, frequency, how do the two subs interact with each other, what happens. So it's a little bit more uh, learning for me, which I enjoy, but there's no doubting uh, the power uh, of, of MSO and I'm, I'm seeing it used more and more in complex setups. Yeah, and for the folks who don't know, MSO is multi-sub optimizer, and it's a free software for Windows currently. And basically, it asks you to take measurements of each subwoofer from each of your seats. And the goal is to try to make the seat-to-seat -seat consistency as close as possible. So the tough thing is, a lot of times, you'll you'll optimize for the sub or the base response in a single position, and then you move over a few seats, and maybe it's not optimal there. And so this software can adjust each individual subwoofer for the, it'll adjust the PEQs for each one, the, the delay, uh, what else, and levels. Yep. So it's kind of weird. You wouldn't be able to do it yourself. It kind of, it's like a brute force type of thing. It just tries all these different combinations to see what gives you the most consistent it, it, response. It's very, it's very powerful and props to the, to the individuals who wrote the programming in it. Uh, and, and you actually bring up a good point, Joe. The, the, I'm actually a fan often if let, let's say it's your system and, and you've invested all the money and, and you sit in the sweet spot. Right. And you want everything perfect for you. Uh, we've all seen when you move the microphone to a different seat, how the frequency response changes drastically in the room. And it's that's just you're moving through the standing wave pattern and the peaks and nulls and. You know, if you're running auto setup and you measure at the sweet spot, then you move over three, four, five feet, or even behind you to a separate uh, a row. What happens? Well, the, the frequency response changes considerably. So, what does auto setup try to do? It tries to do what MSO is doing, which is develop some type of aggregate solution that works well 
reasonably well at all the seats. But if you think about it, at the expense of the sweet spot, it mm. will never be as good at the sweet spot if you measure in five or six different locations than if yeah. you measure only in the sweet spot. And we don't we don't want the step you know the uh, mother in law chair to be better than the sweet spot. Exactly. Right? Right? So yeah, I, oftentimes my advice is you know <laughs> you can try it both ways, but if you measure one, two, three in the sweet spot. I can almost guarantee you, you're going to get better sounding and better measuring results at the expense of the other locations. But hey, who cares? It's your family member. It's your guests. They're going to have a great experience anyway. They're going to love it. What They won't know the difference, but you no. will. So <laughs> that's a little bit of a different perspective that I wanted right. to share is sometimes you can be a little bit, a little bit selfish and maximize the response at your listening position. Uh, and, and maybe not worry so much about who, who is it? Aunt Tilly yeah. <laughs> in the background. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be honest. I have four theater chairs and the number of times that all of them were filled. I could count on my one hand, there you know, it's usually me watching a, a movie late at night when everybody's sleeping and I just, I turn it up and I did enjoy you, it. It's gotta be you, right? Did I you, mean, you want you... it to be the best for you. Did you scoot it over so that one chair is just directly? Oh, I should. I need to. I need to <laughs> make that one center. Yeah, yeah, but for me, it's more of a perfectionist thing. You know, if I know that I can make it good at all of them, you know, you're gonna try. I, I'm gonna try, and so MSO allows me to not compromise. I can make it good for mine and everybody else's if that ever happens. But um, if yeah. it's possible, if it's possible, I can do it. But. Sometimes, you know, you move a couple of feet, like in my own reference theater around the corner, mm. uh, I have a massive null, like three feet behind me. It's at 42 Hertz. <laughs> it's like 15 or 17 dB deep. It's bad. It's a front to rear standing wave null. It's very persistent. Uh, when I discovered it, I said, okay, I'm not sitting here. <laughs> and I moved my seat up three feet and reconfigured the locations of the speakers in the room. And um, my bass response is awesome. But if I lean back too far or move my chair back a couple feet, wow, the mid bass is gone. Yeah, that's funny. I, I had a, I had this guy who was like a hi-fi guy. And, you know, he didn't really have any subs. He didn't believe in any uh, DSP stuff. But I brought uh, my U-Mic. And he had all this expensive gear. And, you know, all this like, you know, bass traps and all this stuff. You know, all kinds of stuff. And um, I did some measurements and I realized that he was sitting in a null and just moving the chair a foot and a half forward would bring him out of that null. Yeah. And so it was just exactly. funny. A hundred dollar mic is all, all we needed yeah. to improve his sound by, you probably didn't have to spend thousands of dollars on this one yeah. cable. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, there, there's sort of a hierarchy uh, of, of the way you approach this. And mine is you better check all the spots in the room first before you settle on a location. A lot of times someone will come to us with this predetermined uh, setup and say, everything has to go here. Uh, and, and I have to sit there. Okay. Then, then your, your hands are sort of tied because if it doesn't measure well with that setup, then you're kind of stuck with it. Uh, Cause you, you know, you can't change the room dimensions and generally you can't change the speaker locations because they're sort of defined by the video display and the surround, surround back, overhead, high channels, whatever. Mm. But oftentimes you can move the subwoofer if you have some flexibility. And boy, that spot's terrible. 
let's try that one over there or this one here or one, maybe in the back corner. And bam, you find a spot that measures pretty darn well without a, a, a really big null. Nulls are the worst, as you know. We can deal with peaks a little bit easier than nulls. But if there's a big null there, I just line through that location. Hey, that's just a bad spot, dude. You don't want to put your subwoofer there. Let's well, Nick can just out. sell. That's it. Nick can just don't sell them more there. subs. Then in that case, not <laughs> <laughs> one spot. Then let's just just more subs. Then we'll fix and it think, right up. Think about this, Joe. It, if you got a spot with a null, oh. and you put a subwoofer in another part of the room, and you can fill in that null, so to speak, right? Because that other sub doesn't have a null at that frequency. Mm. Well, it looks good on the frequency response chart, doesn't it? But what are you still missing? You're missing the dynamic output of the first subwoofer, which has a massive null at that frequency that never changes. So you say, look at the combined dynamic output of the system. It's going to be lower over that bandwidth where the null exists than it would be everywhere else where both subs are contributing max. So when you really start pushing the system hard and you're like, oh, it's not hitting in the mid base like I expected it would, that's because one of them has a null and it's not contributing. And that's never going to go away. That's so why I use MSO, though. You know, you cut up like, all right, that one, you do what you do. This one, this guy, you take over in this yeah. and then, you know, that, what I'm saying? you know, that that's again, though, if there's a null, there's a null and, and you're going to get lower output there. And that's never going to change. It's just the acoustics of the room. So I always try and not put the sub in a null uh, yeah. to start. Uh, and then we deal with peaks more easily. I think what you said is uh, also, it seems like, Make sure that your seat is not in a null. Yeah. Seat, your actual. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah. Sure. What can you do? You just gave me an idea. Maybe those unused seats, I should just put subs on both sides. Huh? <laughs> there it is. There you it can is. move the listening position sometimes, but oftentimes, again, you're, you're, you want to sit where the speakers and the video display are optimal, but mm. you can move the sub a lot more easily. So that's usually what we end up doing. So, well, right here it says subwoofer placement, uh, best place to start and the methodology. What are some good places? If you had to guess, here's a room. I don't know everything about it, but where you know, I, I'm a little bit older than you guys, uh, so I'm going to date myself. But back in the day, everybody said, don't stick the sub in a corner because it's going to sound boomy. Um, and, you know, is there some validity to that? Maybe if you put the sub in a corner, you might get a standing wave peak where it doesn't exist somewhere else. But again, we can deal with peaks now a lot more easily than we could 30 years ago uh, when, when EQ was a, a, a little bit more dip, difficult to implement. Um, but I always say start in a corner because a corner placement will excite every standing wave pattern in the room. There's five different types of standing wave patterns in the room. Corner placement excites all of them. That gives you the densest standing wave pattern. Uh, now, is it possible placing the sub in a corner ends up where you're sitting? Is there a null? Maybe. Uh, but again, you're gonna get you're gonna have a denser standing wave pattern and a higher chance of not sitting and not encountering a null when you start with a corner. Uh, if you have EQ, great, because if there's a peak in the response, we can knock it out. Um, mm -hmm. But if you place the sub, say, for example, in the middle of a wall, middle of the front wall, middle of the side wall, you're creating a standing wave pattern between that sub and the side walls where it wouldn't otherwise exist if it was actually in the corner. Um, so then there's the potential starts to increase for seeing uh, mid and upper base nulls that are created between the sub and the side walls 
uh, or the sub in the opposite wall where it wouldn't exist if it was corner loaded. So I always say start in a corner, see how it looks, see how it measures, see how it sounds. If we need to move it, fine. Um, but that's where I start. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I like to recommend just throw it in the corner. You're, it's going to give you extra base. Like that's, that's yep. just extra, you know, you can, you can tame it afterwards, like you said. But uh, I think it's a great place to start. Um, and how about in addition to that, let's say, all right, for some reason, they're not going to put in the corners. Maybe it's uh, maybe the space doesn't allow for it. What's maybe another good option? And if, if you, if we talk at one sub or two, one, just say two subs, like, cause I see some people putting it about like a quarter of the way or two thirds of the way, just cause it looks nice. You know, they have their floor standing right. speakers and they have their TV and then they put it right in between. Is that a good spot? Well, you know, there's something to be said for visual symmetry on the front stage, right? Everybody likes, oh, yeah, I got I got my mains, I got my center, I got my two subs up here. If they're corner loaded, I think that's optimal. We've seen, uh, all seen the Harmon International, you know, Todd Welty uh, measurements. Mm -hmm. One quarter in or one third in tends to measure pretty well. Um, but again, the farther you get away from the sidewall, let's say, they're in the corners and then you start marching them in and mm -hmm. you're at one quarter or even the one third, two third points. Do you have the potential to create a standing wave between the subwoofer and the sidewall depending on the room size? Yes, you do. So as you start marching them away from the corners and, and if you do have a microphone in Room EQ Wizard, you start to see ripples in the upper bass response that weren't there before. And, and that's because there's a new standing wave pattern that you've created because you're moving it away from the corner. Um, it, aside from visual symmetry, both subs on the front stage, you're never going to get rid of the front to rear standing wave null. And that is probably the most problematic that we encounter uh, in the room. It's the most persistent and it tends to be in the mid base region where you're sitting. Um, and I've seen sweeps. Hey, I got both subs on the front. Here's my roomy Q wizard sweep. Wham. <laughs> There's a, a 15 or 20 dB null at, at 45 hertz or 40 hertz or something like that. And we're like, wow, that's bad. Um, can you move this listening position forward or rearward? Not really. Well, okay, let's try uh, opposite diagonal corners. That's my favorite setup for dual subs. Okay. It, you know, say front, left, right, rear or front, right, left, rear. And, and the reason why is that addresses all five of the standing wave patterns in the room and gives you a higher chance of having a flatter frequency response at the listening position. Would you say Gary would prefer uh, eat one in each corner and maybe stacked all the way up to the ceiling? <laughs> right. We'll, do, we'll stack all of them in all four corners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how about this? What is a common... Uh, null that you see in a lot of rooms? The front like, what, to rear. What, what frequency to... approximately would that be? Well, it, depends, it depends on the dimensions of the room, as you know. But it, say you're looking at a standard room, maybe 15 feet wide by 22, 23 feet long. That's sort of a standard living room, family room, uh, mm -hmm. media room type, maybe 2,500 cubic feet. Uh, that front to rear standing wave null will typically manifest in the middle of the room. It's in the mid base region, 40, 45, 50 Hertz. Uh, and it can be nasty. Sometimes it, it can be very persistent and very deep. Uh, I think the worst I ever saw was 
27 db deep at at uh 42 hertz i mean it was like a, a black hole uh, wow really That's bad and the bad, yeah. was well constructed that was the problem it was a very well constructed rigid boundaries block walls concrete floor i'm like man this thing really reflects bass extremely well and that's your problem <laughs> because the reflected bass is almost as strong as the bass coming out of the sub and boy what a massive cancellation in the middle of the room and that was with both subs up front yeah. and we did opposite diagonal corners then we the null was still there but it was smaller and then we did some phasings we started just 15 degree increments you know 15 30 45 60 75 and so forth mm -hmm. uh, when we were done without eq it was 18 to 110 hertz plus or minus 2 db in room wow we yeah. got lucky we got lucky but <laughs> it, it does demonstrate the power of measurements placement phasing uh and understanding room acoustics yeah you know i've seen a lot that are uh of main speakers like floor standing speakers bookshelf speakers and a lot of times i'll see like a null in the 70 to 80 hertz region i'm like oh man that, i don't know that's a that's a tricky area because that's where i usually want to cross over but we is wouldn't it, know this stuff unless we did, you know, some more in-depth measurements. Is so. it just the speakers or, or is the speaker subwoofer uh, combined? Because a lot of times we will see a suck out with a combined response, the speaker and the subwoofer. Mm. And we say, okay, uh, is this the speaker? Mm. Is it the subwoofer? Is it the speaker plus the subwoofer? And now we got to start breaking it down right. into individual components. It could also be both speakers interfering with each other. If they're, say, they're a certain distance apart, yeah, you get maybe. bass cancellation between the two speakers. So are we measuring both speakers? Are we measuring one? Is it the speaker only? Is it the sub only? Is it speaker plus sub? Uh, you can learn a lot, Joe, by breaking it down into individual components and say, let's measure front left speaker, measure front right speaker, then measure mm -hmm. the subwoofer alone. Uh, yeah. And then let's measure front left and sub, front right and sub, and see what happens as you start adding in components. And then, oh, all of a sudden that suck out appears, but mm -hmm. now you know where it is and where it came from and why it's there. And then you can start working on ways to uh, eliminate it. Yeah, so here I have on the screen, it says, REW taking in-room measurements of, of, the, of the subwoofer, how to interpret the data, what the standing wave peaks nulls are, and how to compensate for them. So this is coming from the our email. Yep, the, the, this this is a, a perfect example of um, you know what we were just talking about. A lot of times, the Roomy Q Wizard user will be using front left or front right um, as the as the channel, and mm -hmm. and it includes this loudspeaker, uh, and they don't realize that the loudspeaker is part of the uh, the combined frequency response. And uh, I say, okay, if if you don't have a, the Rue plugin, Rue REW plugin, where you can pick individual channels, and you're stuck with front left, left or front right, uh, set your crossover, set that front channel to small, and set the crossover to like 200 hertz, so it's not interfering with your measurements, and you really are looking at just the subwoofer, um, because. If the loudspeaker is playing, and, and maybe you're running a, a 60 hertz or an 80 hertz crossover, and there's some wonkiness or weirdness or phase cancellation or anomalies in the mid bass or upper bass we don't know if that's the loudspeaker or the subwoofer so we need again we need to break it down isolate it set the crossover really high so the front channel's not contributing at all and then start looking at all right now we're looking at just the subwoofer 
Uh, and, and if it doesn't look good, and again, my hierarchy is if there's a null, a bad one, uh, and, and you need to sit there, mm. well, let's start moving the subwoofer around until we find a more benign looking frequency response. And then we can start looking at EQ. Um, but why would you EQ a location that had a huge null in it? It's just, it's counterproductive. Yeah. You're never going to get anywhere. So, hey, let's move the sub around. This doesn't look good. Let's try spots two, three, four, five, whatever. And when we find the best spot, then we start looking at um, layering on PEQs and, and phasing if necessary. Yeah, I see a lot of people try to overpower the nulls. They just figure, you know, I'm just going to add more. And I don't <laughs> know if they understand what's causing the null. <laughs> exactly. It, it, usually it's room acoustics. It's a, it's a cancellation null. Even if, you, if you've ever looked at before and after plots, like for, from Odyssey or anything else that gives you a before and after plot, you'll notice even Odyssey will not boost a null because it knows that you can't. So right. it'll boost around the null, but it leaves a very narrow... Um, it, it's less, it's less audible afterwards, but Odyssey has null recognition in it. And so does some of the other, uh, uh auto setup programs. So it doesn't try to boost the center frequency of the null because it, it's not counter, it, it's counterproductive. It just doesn't yeah. work. It, even in REW, if you try to use their EQ, it's not going to try to do anything too crazy in, right. in the base, especially actually we, uh, we have a test here. We have like pink noise tests. And the advantage to using our toolkit quick plug is that we have we can isolate LFE at least. So yep. we can tell somebody play LFE, and we know when they play LFE, it's only going to be LFE. You got that so right. Kind of And again, that that gets back to the the uh, plugin and Rumi Q Wizard. If you mm -hmm. if you do run the the plugin or or using, uh, I think the latest version has it has it built in. Mm -hmm. um, you can actually pick uh, what channel you want. Um, and you can pick, it says subwoofer, but as, as you know, it's the LFE channel. You're, you're sending out a, it's a PCM signal that's encoded that the AV processor recognizes it as the LFE channel and it plays through the subwoofer. Then you, you don't have to worry about, uh, it, are the front channels contaminating the response or affecting the response because it's, it's just LFE. Right. And, uh, just a quick note about, uh, REW. I don't know if it's on every AVR, but on Denon and Marantz, I noticed that the LFE and center are switched, so make sure that when you're playing uh, that, because it, you know their assignment is like uh, one is left, two is right, three. I, I don't know exactly how they have it. It could be either center or LFE, depending on mm -hmm. what you have it connected to. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Um, and also, the you can't do it the other way. So if you play something that's only in the left channel, and you play it through your AVR, if you have your crossover set to eighty, it can it'll still activate the the subwoofer it'll well, sure it. well yeah, so. right if if that speaker's set to small or it has a or it has a crossover uh, uh of 80 then mm -hmm. it's gonna it's gonna split the signal between the two and and you're gonna get output from the from the speaker how many times have we seen a suck out between the speaker and the subwoofer just because they're they're literally out of phase with each other over the crossover bandwidth that they're sharing so time aligning the speaker and the sub doesn't necessarily result in a the smoothest frequency response between the two uh, because there could be phase cancellation present because the speaker and the subwoofer don't have the same phase response. If you if you look at say how a crossover network's designed and you've got this you know uniform 
uh, high pass, low pass. It's the same slope on both sides. And we try and get the phase response very similar over the crossover bandwidth. And we get, end up with a nice flat transition from driver to driver. That's the idea in the room, but it rarely works well because you've got asymmetrical slopes. The AV processor is applying a 12 dB high pass to the speakers. It's applying a 24 dB low pass to the subwoofer. So right away, you've got asymmetry that you're dealing with. And then even if you timeline the speaker and the subwoofer, that's not the same as saying, oh, they both have the same phase response. So what if the loudspeaker and the subwoofer have a different phase response over the bandwidth that they're sharing and they have different slopes for the high pass and the low pass? It's a recipe for an uneven frequency response. It's just something we got to live with, Joe. Uh, I've just never seen a perfect transition from a speaker to a subwoofer for all the channels at the same time. And some people get hung up on, they're like, oh, I got front left to sub good, center to sub good, right to sub looks terrible, surround to sub looks terrible, height to sub looks terrible. I'm like, you know, pick your poison. Yeah, I, I say if you get the front channels reasonably well integrated with the sub, you're doing okay. <laughs> can't, yeah. You can't win them all, right? You can't win them all. So let, let's pick the ones that matter the most, and that's the front stage. Yep. Yeah, I wish all of them had some kind of uh, all-pass filter where you could do a phase rotation. You know, get the timing set and then just rotate the phase on all of them and getting get them all aligned. But right, that, that's something right. we. If we you're can't using only cues, or you can look at it and say, let me look at the phase response of the front left speaker and the subwoofer at the bandwidth that they're sharing because I've got the crossover set there. It's never the same, Joe. Never the same. Right. <laughs> We definitely we have a lot of questions that we've started here, and we can kind of do a, a rapid fire thing at the end. Um, so I know we're kind of jumping around from topic to topic, but they're all just interrelated. That's why. So yeah. earlier, uh, you know, so this is kind of just you just talked about how timing and phase can be different. You can have the exact timing, but their phase relationship could be 180 degrees, possibly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we've seen this before with auto setup. Let's say you have a sub in the front of the room and a sub in the back of the room and you're running, uh, you know, I, I hate to pick on Odyssey all the time, but the, but they do have discrete uh, uh, subs for XT32. So it time aligns the front sub and time aligns the back sub. And then it measures the combined response and applies EQ to the combined response. Well, what if time aligning both subs results in a null, a cancellation null between the two, because you, because literally because of the distance they're apart, the dimensions of the room, where you happen to be sitting, bam, you created a null. Is Odyssey intelligent enough, rhetorical question for you, is Odyssey <laughs> intelligent enough to say, I just created a null by literally time aligning the front sub and the back sub relative to the listening position? The answer, no. It, it doesn't say I'm going to try one foot delta different, two foot delta different, three foot delta different. And that's really where either your mini DSP comes in into play or you can use the phase control and say, I'm going to start applying some phase rotation to the sub in the back. And what's the idea? I mean, do we want the peaks and nulls over, overlapping or do we want them to interlace? If they interlace, then your frequency response is smoother and that's the goal. You're losing a little bit of headroom, but you're gaining... Uh, a, a smoother frequency smoother, response yeah. because you're interlacing those peaks and nulls and that's the idea. So actually putting the subs out of phase a little bit strategically driven yeah. by Rumi Q wizard uh, can actually result in better uh, uh, frequency response than just 
saying, hey, Odyssey, you deal with it, uh, and just timeline both subs. Well, that, that's interesting because, you know, if I had to choose between both subs playing at the exact same impulse, exact same time, but not hearing anything because I'm in a null, versus right. maybe they're slightly off, slightly off, which I wouldn't probably be able to perceive for the most part. Yeah. But I could actually hear the bass. I'd, I'd rather hear the bass. And another interesting thing is I uh, spoke with somebody who just bought uh, – he has four SB3000s, so he just bought two more. And he said one of the first things that you guys recommended to him was uh, to adjust the phase before you run anything first. So get them set up and then adjust it so that they sound loud, as loud as possible together, that you're getting some summation. And, and then you can run. Right. That, yeah. That's going to be um, – and if I have Rumi Q Wizard – Mm -hmm. Then I'll, I say start them all at zero phase and let's let's measure one, two, three, and four independently. Then measure the front set, then measure the rear set, then turn all four of them on at once. And again, you're looking at what happens when I start introducing these variables into the room. And if introducing the rear set of subs results in cancellation that wasn't there before, well, then we say, okay, there's some phase cancellation depending mm -hmm. on the room size and where you're measuring. So let's start applying some phase delay uh, to the subs in the back of the room and see if we can uh, reduce the magnitude of that phase cancellation, which speaks to your point. Are they are they going to be the do we want the peaks and to be inner on top of each other where you're getting max SPL or do we want to offset them a little bit where you're getting the smoothest frequency response? I say frequency response is king. Don't worry about. If you wanted max SPL, you just stick them all in the same corner, right? They're all in phase <laughs> with each other. Well, what's what's the benefit? The benefit is you're getting plus six dB every time you you know you go from one to two, and then you go from two to four. You're getting six more dB of headroom, but you're not changing the frequency response at all. You're stuck with what the room has given you. If we right. split them up in the room, we lose a little bit of headroom, but we gain the opportunity to integrate the the phase responses in a manner. That gives us the smoothest combined frequency response. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah, usually what I do is I just play some full range, or not full range, uh, some some pink noise that has some bass in it, and I play it on all of them, and I just make sure that they're at least about the same level, somewhat the same level, and that they're not fighting each other. Yeah, because I know that Odyssey cannot do phase rotation, so if it if it's if they're fighting each other, it's not a great place to start. So that's kind of how I do it. Um, you mentioned something earlier also about um, large versus small settings on the AVR. I mean, if somebody's new, they might not understand. Like, what's what is this for? You know, like those those terms go all updating myself again. Those terms go all the way back to the origin of THX, um, and and that would be actually a, a a separate discussion. We can always drill into it deeper later if you want, or on another episode. But mm -hmm. suffice it to say. What does small mean now? Small means that you can apply a crossover to that channel. Large means it's getting a full band, full range signal. And even if the speaker, let's say you're running a decent sized tower up front, is that tower, another rhetorical question, is that <laughs> tower truly full range? Can it get down to 20 hertz or, or even 50? Probably hertz? not, depending on how much you spent. But <laughs> Probably not, right? So uh, what... What's the typical low end response of of even a big floor standard? I'd say I'd say somewhere between 40 30. 35. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they go to 30. 
right? So you're missing a whole octave at that point. Let's say it rolls off at 35 hertz in room and, and you want you want 15 hertz uh, in room. That's a little bit more than a whole octave deeper. So so not even large bass capable speakers, physically large, should mm -hmm. not be set Such to full range uh, because they, they're not capable of digging as deep as what could be on the soundtrack. Have we ever seen really deep bass mixed into the speaker channels? Sure. I've seen it before. It's bizarre. Um, you know, I, I've seen bass mixed down to 15 hertz in the center channel before. Loud, like loud encoding levels. How do you think the center channel would would uh, uh, like it if, if you sent it a couple hundred watts at 20 hertz? It wouldn't. <laughs> you could damage it, right? You could blow it. I've seen that before. Um, so we always say set your speakers to small even if they're physically large and bass capable, and then apply a crossover to those speakers. The crossover really reflects the bass capabilities of the speaker. Mm -hmm. If it's a right. larger speaker, we end up with a deeper crossover, 40 hertz or 60 hertz. If it's a medium-sized speaker, maybe 60 to 80 hertz. If it's a smaller speaker, 80 to 100. And if it's really small, we might end up at 120. Right. 120 but to 150. the point is, we can't apply a crossover to any speaker that's set to large it's a full range signal and that's why we don't like seeing that in the system mm -hmm. so if your avr has those terms and you run auto setup and any of them come back at large change it to small and that allows you to assign a crossover to that channel the base in that channel then gets routed to the subwoofer uh, at the crossover frequency yeah. so the sub can help out takes the load off the speakers takes the load off the avr the AVR has more mid and, uh, and upper frequency power for dynamics. It also runs cooler as well. Uh, and then you won't blow your speakers. <laughs> hey, yeah. Chana, on the, yeah. on the newer Denon and Marantz stuff, do they still use large and smaller? Or do they change that up? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could check it out on the Marantz. That's a great question. We just covered that. Every week we have a sort of a huddle with my team. Uh, uh -huh. And that came up very recently. Yeah. Hey, wow, this is a big one. Denon and Marantz appear to be getting away from the terms large and small, uh, which is to their credit. I never yeah. liked the terms. They're a carryover. Yamaha, Pioneer, Sony, they still all use it. Um, Ankyo got away from it years ago, and they just said either it's got a crossover or it's full band, one or the other. That makes more sense to people. Yeah, um, I think I think Achana's pulling it up right now. I think it does say, what does it say right there? It does it, it. It just says front, center. Like, can, oh, it's tracking your face. Yeah, you might be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Let's see. Uh, I can't really tell, but what does it say on there? It well, frequency. Um, it, it just says uh, front and then 80, and uh -huh. then I can change it. I have to go all the way down for it to say full range. So does it, they take, they've taken away the small, large. Which oh, is, um, it's, it's, and this it's is in the newest update. Or full range. Yeah, it's a good That's thing. It. Uh, it, it's less confusing. They were they were superfluous terms. Uh, it, either it's got a crossover or it doesn't. If it doesn't, right. it's full range. It, right. it makes way more sense. Akio was was doing that seven or eight years ago uh, when they got away from it. And and some of the smaller manufacturers never use those terms um, either. When was the last time you saw that in uh, Anthem's, you know, Arc Arc Genesis? They don't use those terms. No, and, and that's to their credit. They say, "Here's the crossover." Yeah. Oh, that's that's good. It's one yeah. one more thing to teach your uh, team, though. But <laughs> we will be dealing with large and small for decades because there's legacy products out there that are going to be hanging around 
in the marketplace and they're going to be out there for a long time. So we're still going to be running into it. We still need to understand what it means. And we, yeah. so we give people the best advice. Okay. So, and then, and I mean, what's, what's, what's kind of worse. Uh, uh, yo, you okay over there, Joe? What's going, Is that, uh, what's kind of, I don't think it's me. Uh, what's kind of bad about this new update with the Denon Marantz is that, you know, people will have the older mo models. And if you're saying like, Hey, my Denon's this and that, and then you go and try and help them and they got a fully different menu <laughs> menu system. <laughs> now you're like, you're like, Oh crap. Um, because well, that's, that, that, that's, that's why the, the guidance to my team was if it's a newer AVR, pull up the owner's manual, get into the manual setup section and see what the terminology is so right. you can give them the correct guidance. You right. can't assume anymore that mm -hmm. Denon Morantz will always use the terms large and small. Right. Um, it's and, it, it's so, a change. So, so just have it, hey, you got to have like a little spreadsheet. Everyone's, be, you know, 3,700, 6,700 and prior are going to be large, small. Yep. And it's going to have the speaker config screen because they took that away too. They up, that, they did, and that's that's one of the things that was uh, always troubling to a lot of people is like they they go into Ampersign, they put on some new height channels, and they're like, I don't get any sound out of my height channels. Oh, like oh, go into speaker config. So they combined it now in the new one with um, uh, the in in the Ampersign uh, area. The speaker configuration is also yeah, it's, there. Not, it's now one and the same. Well, yeah. and again, if you think about it, it's an intelligent change. It makes sense. Yep. It does. Um, and to the layperson, uh, they're like, all right, well, where are your speakers? What's in the system? Where are they located? And, and it, and it assigns the amp channels accordingly. Yeah. So we have a, uh, a few topics here that maybe we could kind of combine. I know you've already touched on some of this, but this one says the best speaker subwoofer crossover frequency for each channel and what's happening to the signal. Uh, we've kind of, did we touch on this yet? Double bass, no. LFP plus mains. Not yet. Point one. I guess we could. Which one do you want to do first out of these? Well, I and I see a question here from uh, one of your uh, viewers. You know, what's the best crossover for Prime Pentacle, for example? So, what actually happens in this in the system when when we apply a crossover? Well, the AV processor uh, applies a, a high pass filter to that speaker channel at the crossover frequency. And unless it's adjustable, which is very rare, it's a 12 dB per octave high pass filter. Now we say, well, how does that, how does the base get to the subwoofer for that channel? It takes a duplicate signal for that channel. So let's say we're looking at front left, prime pentacle, 60 hertz crossover, um, 60 hertz high pass on the speaker. And then that signal gets sent to the subwoofer output jack. And it, and it gets low passed at 60 hertz. It's a 24 dB per octave on the low pass side. So that's how the speaker subwoofer crossover works for all of the speaker channels. So no matter what the crossover setting is, you're high passing the speaker, you're sending a duplicate signal to the subwoofer for that channel, you're low passing it at the same frequency, again, 1224 slope, uh, and then, of course, we've got the LFE channel, uh, which is a standalone channel on the soundtrack. So all of that gets mixed together and sent uh, out the subwoofer output jack. Wow. Yeah. So what is the what is the LFE, the point one channel? Like, what's the difference? Because on Den and oh, I see well, two can, places to sit. Can we can we just normalize how how we talk about? 
the about the LFE channel because I see all these people in the Facebook groups. And, oh, I have a, a 7.4.6 Atmel setup. <laughs> I'm like, you have, I'm like, can we, can we just say, how do you want to do it? What, I, how do you I, say okay. I, I already had an oh, idea because I was, I've been thinking about this. How about, <laughs> how, about how about we try, um, seven point or 7.1.4 is a, ch uh, channel configuration. And, okay. but my speaker configuration is 7.4.6 or whatever. Right? Yeah, my speaker I, configuration. You're so right. Uh, that has been a pet peeve of mine forever. Um, I, I just, I finally gave up on it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. The original meaning of say, let's say 7.1.4. What does that mean? Well, it, it's, it's the, it's the audio channels in the system. How many subwoofers are in this? Who cares how many subwoofers are in the system? The LFE channel is one. There's one LFE channel in soundtrack. Um, so all the subs get the same signal. You could have two, you could have three, you could have four. doesn't matter. Um, so the original intent of say 7.1.4 left, right, center, right, surround, left, surround, surround, rear, the two surround rears and, and four overheads and the LFE channel. And, and, the, and the one, the one, the one guy. Yep. So people call it the subwoofer channel. It's not the subwoofer no. channel. It's the LFE channel. And, low, and LFE stands for what, Ed? Low, low frequency effects. Low frequency effects. That's it's right. A, it's a special channel in the soundtrack reserved for low frequency effects. Now, here's another re rhetorical question. If you don't have a subwoofer specified in your system, where does the LFE channel go? Anybody know? Oh, Nowhere. So you're telling me if I set up a system with front left and right, center and right surrounds, and I tell the AV processor I don't have a subwoofer. Well, are you telling me that the AV that the LFE channel disappears? No. Yeah, I, when I when I, mean, I play it on headphones, LFE just doesn't play at all. <laughs> well, I know that the AVR is going to try and change your front left and right to full range. It won't so, try. It will. Yeah. Um, so so the the codec for decoding the spec for decoding says if there's no subwoofer in the system the lfe channel gets sent to the front channels and what? they are forced to full range to your point they have to be on full range yeah. so the lfe channel doesn't just disappear it's it's in the audio track so that's why when people say oh it's a subwoofer channel no not really it's the lfe channel let's call yeah. it what it is it's a separate audio channel in the soundtrack reserved for low frequency effects it is sent to the subwoofer if you have one specified have one, in the yeah. system. That's interesting. If you don't, it's sent to the fronts. I'll have to test that on my system to see if that's that's it actually will. what happens because yeah. uh, on headphones it's different. On it headphones, might be. it it just if there's no uh, if it's on headphones, it just doesn't play LFE. <laughs> yeah. On our test tracks, when it says it, we do a call out seven point one point four nine point one point six call out, and when it says LFE. Just nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, my headphones can go down to I think they say five hertz or something ridiculous. Should check yeah. on it. Check, check, well, check you, on your own system and you know see, what, see how it's see how it's routed. But that's the that's the Dolby spec is that's yeah. where the LFE channel goes if you don't have a sub specified. So everybody sees this under base in mm -hmm. the Denon and Marantz LPF for LFE. Well, what the heck does that mean, right? Mm -hmm. And and the default is one twenty. Mm -hmm. It's the low pass for the LFE channel. So let's assume there is a subwoofer in the system. The LFE channel is only sent to the subwoofer. And you're telling the AV receiver, 
low past the signal for the LFE channel at 120 hertz. Right. And don't allow it to play higher. And, um, and if, if there's any confusion out there, a low pass filter is very simple. It lets the lows pass. Just think, just think about it that way. If right here, high pass filter. It lets the highs pass. Yeah. Low pass filter. Let's somebody actually just commented on one of my videos yesterday saying, wait a second, if you set this to 120 and then your speaker to 60, aren't you miss, missing 60 hertz of bass? I was no. like, I'm like, no, 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 no. You've got it backwards. And that's it's, the thing. The speaker subwoofer crossover frequency is completely different than the low pass for the LFE channel because the LFE channel is, is its own entity. It's not shared with any of the speakers, if there's a subwoofer in the system, it goes to the subwoofer. So the reason it, it, it on these Denon and Marantz, you say, well, I can adjust it from 80 all the way up to, I think, 250. I'm going from memory, right? Does oh, it go can, that high? I can try it right now. But why would you set it to 80 if there's content in the LFE channel at 100 or 120? Because if you set it to 80, you're discarding that content. It's actually in the soundtrack. doesn't go anywhere. You're telling the receiver, you know what? Don't play anything in the LFE channel over 80 hertz. Right. Well, what if the mixing engineer mixed something in there at 110 or 120? Because that's been the historical mixing standard for, for decades for the LFE channel. How high do we want to mix in the LFE channel? 120. Why? Well, it's going to become obviously directional if we go much higher, higher than, than that. that. Yeah. And most of the time, there's nothing in the LFE channel uh, really above 80. But every now and then, if you look at a soundtrack, you'll see it. You'll see some upper bass in there. So I, my recommendation is leave it at 120 because you're not truncating or lopping off content that could be in the soundtrack. There's not really any reason to set it to 80. Um, there's this evergreen debate on AVS form about it. Well, if I set it to 80, the subwoofer is less localizable. Okay, uh, that's true because you're telling it not to play above 80, but you're also discarding content that's in the soundtrack. So you might like it better, but I wouldn't call it more accurate. There's a difference. Right. I'd right. like to hear it if it's in the soundtrack. I'll, so, take, I'll take my chances on localization. So if you have it set to 120 and you have your other speakers set to 80 hertz, it'll still play from 120 hertz and below. Yeah, because will, that setting only affects the LFE channel. Yeah, that's okay. why it's in the base menu. It's right. totally independent from the speaker subwoofer crossover frequency for all the other speaker channels, and that's why it's separate. It's a separate menu setting. That's that is a a, a point of confusion for a lot of a lot of users. Is what the heck does this mean? And how, how if I noodle around with this, what happens? Well, it only affects the LFE channel. Has so, nothing to do with the speaker subwoofer crossover. Doesn't have anything to do with the bass, <laughs> right? So, so basically, set it to 120 and never change it ever again after that. Uh, that's Done. my recommendation. Done. All right, <laughs> and, and, and you're right. It uh, the the numerance goes up to uh, 250, and the lowest is 80. Hey, this is what we should do, Chana, on our next uh, on our next project. Let's just put some hidden messages like. At, at like 250 hertz <laughs> in the LFE only. Into the LFE. <laughs> you're right. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. If, you, if you set it to 250, you're going to hurt anything? No, because there's no. nothing in the soundtrack. Probably nothing there. Right? Yeah. There's nothing there. That idea. 
So who cares if it's set to 250? The hidden real problem messages. is if you set it I to think 80. I do that. <laughs> hidden messages <laughs> in the we'll LFE. Right yeah, put an Easter egg in there. At, at, from at, 200 at, to, to 250 hertz. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Uh, um, we have a super chat right here, so let's get to that real quick. Um, so Benji Gator 23 says, well, first of all, thank you for the super chat. And he says, when phase aligning two PB3000s with a mini DSP, is it better to use the phase adjustment knob in the SVS app or delay setting in mini DSP? So let's, you know, really boils down to, I would say try it both ways and see which results in, in a better looking combined frequency response. When you, uh, when you apply a time delay, you're stacking the entire signal up in the time domain. Uh, when you're adjusting the phase control, uh, the phase control has the most effect at a certain frequency and progressively less effect at deeper frequencies. It is a broadband control, uh, but it is to some extent frequency dependent. Um, and let's say you apply, you know, 90 degrees of phase rotation at 80 hertz. Is that going to give you 90 degrees of phase rotation at 20 hertz? No, uh, it, it won't. Uh, uh, and, and that's the difference between a phase rotation or phase delay and a time delay. So it depends on what's happening in the room, the frequency response, the acoustics of the room. I say, if you have a mini DSP, try it both ways. You can a, a, apply different time delays to the front or rear sub. Uh, and, and then you can try different, uh, phase delays as well and see which one measures better in the end. Frequency response is king, um, so the best the best idea wins. So that's that's interesting. When you adjust the phase, I was under the assumption that it was just adding delay to the entire thing. Uh, but no, you're saying it's actually a a phase uh, or frequency dependent. It's frequency dependent. Wow. Okay, I'm learning something new. That's awesome. The it's it, here's a good one that we tried uh, one time. We had uh, two subwoofers outdoors you know, ground plane, no reflective boundaries at all. And we had the phase set to zero on both of them. And then we set the phase to 180 on one of them. And, and as you would expect, there was phase cancellation between the two. We had them right next to each other. Mm -hmm. Then we set the phase back to zero on both of them. And we actually reversed the signal polarity and said, all right, we're gonna just make positive negative it's literally a 180 degree reversal of the polarity of the signal. Mm -hmm. It did not measure the same. Uh, you would think, oh, setting the phase to 180 and reversing the polarity would result in the same exact thing. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason why is polarity literally was a complete reversal of the signal, whereas phase uh, was a phase rotation that's to some extent frequency dependent. The biggest difference we saw was at the deepest frequencies. Huh. Yeah, that was a pretty cool experiment. Very interesting. We have another super chat here. Uh, Project X. Uh, we just talked about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Since LFE well, is only chat. single mono, a single mono data, uh, should the point one in 9.1.4 ever be presented as 9.2.4? Well, you know, I, I would say it, it in layman's terms, it has come to be known as the number of subwoofers in your system. I'm sick of, I'm sick of fighting it. I'm sick of swimming upstream. Um, it, okay, great. I'm running a, a, a 9.4.4. I got four subs in the system. I got okay. it. That's it. Yeah. Well, right. it's never going to be 9.0.4, can it? I guess it can, huh? Yeah, if you, you can. You don't have any subs. Well, no. Well, yeah, because 
or what did that originally mean? It meant the LFE channel. It was how many audio channels are in the system, not how many speakers are in the system. That's right. that was the difference back when when Dolby came up with this. It really originally meant the number of channels, not the number of speakers. I have a nine point sixteen point six. Yeah, yeah. I heard right. a thirteen point eight point eight. Right at, at Cedia. Yo, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, how many uh, different? How many different LFE channels were there? One. Eight or There's one? only one. There's only one. There's only one. <laughs> and now it's going to start getting tricky, Ed, because now you have the the new Denon Marantz that have the directional base. Now it's oh. L, single LFE, but now you have actually like assignable different things for each channel. So uh, I'm sure that. Hey, 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 I'm sure it SBS is be. like. SBS you could have like, stereo awesome. base, maybe. You know, stereo <laughs> base is not present in an AV processor because the, all the subs get the same signal. Right. Maybe we're moving it. I'd have to drill into it because I haven't seen it yet. But maybe mm -hmm. you could have okay, it's actual stereo base, for example. I don't know. At, well, uh, but as a as a subwoofer company, you're all about it, right? You guys, are, oh, everybody needs four subwoofers now. You need height base. <laughs> it, it sure helps. It sure helps. <laughs> Um, awesome. What is what is this double base? Did we already talk about this? No, no. Oh, double right. base. Oh, that's another. Goodness. That's another one that creates all kinds of problems. And and again, Danon and Morantz having the extra adjustability makes it even more confusing. <laughs> um, so what's double base? We see this a lot. You run auto setup, and it sets your fronts to large, meaning full band right and the system sounds great and then you get around to playing some two channel music and and guess what stops playing the subwoofer so we get customer calls up in a panic hey my subwoofer doesn't work uh it was working when i was watching the movie but now it's not working so it must be broken okay well are your fronts set to large or full band well yeah they are actually well that's why um because if you're playing two channel music and the front channels are set to full band what gets sent to the subwoofer? Nothing. Not a zilch. Nothing. <laughs> Enter in the concept of double bass. Oh, well, what if I want my speakers to play on full range, which we don't recommend, by the way, but what mm -hmm. if I do, and I want the subwoofer to play at the same time? Okay, well, we can do that. There's a feature under the bass menu called LFE plus mains, which is more commonly referred to as double bass. I've seen it called plus. I've seen it called extra. What does it actually do? It only works when the front channels are set to full band and it sends a duplicate signal to the subwoofer for the front channels as if they were set to small. Yeah. Uh, and, and that and then you have triple bass. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and so that double bass signal in Denon and Marantz uh, is adjustable. You can adjust the low pass for it, which is kind of kind of interesting. So I say, all right. The fronts are set to full range. They're always set to full range, you don't, even if you turn on double bass. And then the sub gets a signal. Well, where do we low pass the subwoofer if we turn on low bass or uh, double bass? Double do bass. we low pass it at 40, 60, 80, 100, 120? How much overlap do we want to create between the speakers on full range mm. and the double bass signal being sent to the subwoofer? <laughs> That's what that adjustable frequency is and the weirdness at least in it uh, on all the legacy denon and Marantz, you turn on double bass and the crossover reappears for the front channels <laughs> it's not a crossover at all they're still playing on full range 
What it should say is low pass for the double base signal, but it doesn't say. Because hold on a second. I always thought that when you said that, that that was actually just changing it so that the crossover nope. on the mains. Nope. No. Remember, when you set the mains to full range or large, they're <laughs> always getting a full range oh, signal. And no then one you, confused, huh? Then you turn on double base, and the subwoofer starts getting sent a signal for the front channels, but the fronts are still set to large. So they're still getting a full range signal. So now the question is, well, how high do I want the double bass signal to play in the subwoofer? Do I want it to play at 40, 60, Is this the rhetorical 80? one again? No, it's, well, you can pick it. <laughs> this, this, you can pick it. it yeah. you, can right. pick, you can pick the Now, and if you don't have an adjustable double bass uh, frequency in, in another AV processor, let's say it's a Pioneer or a Yamaha or Sony, Mm. That is a fixed double bass low uh, pass. It's usually an 80. It 80. does say crossover here, full range. It does full range <laughs> and crossover, huh? So, so you know, again, I, I hate to keep plugging our, our tools. Well, that's a weird one. That's a weird one. We we have a, a test where we play the test tones and we just keep playing it uh, maybe a third octave down. And so what we say is listen to your speakers and kind of get an idea how low they're playing in room. And maybe where they're not able to play bass, then let your sub take over if you want to use this particular feature. Maybe that would be the way to do it. You it know, could. It, try to minimize the overlap. I don't know. I don't usually recommend. You're, to you're right. You, you you want to minimize the overlap. Well, let's get back to the original discussion on large and small. Do we yeah. run? Do we want to run any speaker on full range? The answer is no. And we already talked about why. But yeah. if you're hell bent on playing that speaker on full range, say it's a you know decent sized towers, damn it, yeah. I paid for those speakers and I'm going to put them on full range. Uh, <laughs> then, then the question becomes, how much double bass do we want to send to the subwoofer, and and how much overlap do we want to do we want to create between the speaker and the sub? Um, and to your point, Joe, yeah, uh, if you create too much overlap between the speaker and the sub. Uh, it can get boomy very quickly and tubby. And then also, this is a rhetorical question. What are the chances of the speaker and the sub having the same phase response at, at the overlap bandwidth? The, the, the chances is zero. So oftentimes, double bass ends up sounding kind of bizarre. It, it sort of sounds vague, disembodied. Is it louder most of the time? Is it better? I would argue almost never. Um, it sounds bizarre 99% of the time when I try it. So I just don't use it. But it is a confusing feature, and no one understands what it really does. So I thought it was a good one for your show. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people just figure more bass, more bass. More bass isn't better bass. I got, I got more more bass. I got, um, I got more bass. We got back there, China. Let's see it. So, so, um, so when I put uh... – so this is so I put the front. You got too speakers. much bokeh, bro. You got you got your bokehlicious <laughs> over there, man. Oh, oh, maybe if I can. Oh, uh -oh. I gotta, now that now I gotta. But I I think you can see what you're saying. Maybe we could just pull it up on the screen. Maybe I don't know. Um, now because they won't do a capture card thing because then okay, it, it's a HDCP that stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically, what happens is when I change my subwoofer output to LFE plus main, I get a base extraction uh, low-pass filter. There you go. That's so they've actually, they're calling it now what it is, which is a low-pass 
filter for the double bass signal being sent to the subwoofer. That was never called that before. They must be listening to me gripe about this because <laughs> they're making the changes that actually reflect reality, uh, and it was never that way before. You know what we can do is Tim can chop these up, right, all these topics, and then next time somebody has a question, they call in customer service, you can just say, here, here's the video. I've got, the, I've got a here's link for you. Here's the answer. We've yep. talked about it. In addition to me explaining, here's another, another uh, video. Here's us. Here's us griping about uh, about double bass <laughs> and what it actually. Means. We're not talking. We're not talking about a drum set that has two, two kick drums. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I I have some uh, a few questions, and then we'll get to some of the the questions uh, from the the chat here. But I hear a lot of uh, it's a lot of audiophile guys, right? that say that, you know, subwoofer, I don't like subwoofers because they're slow, you know, the slow bait. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing, bro? They were just talking about this last week. It was like, this idiot's talking about fast subwoofer, <laughs> slow subwoofer. The, ba the bass was so fast it left the room. That That's an <laughs> yeah. old one from Tom Nussain at, at Sound <laughs> So fast it left the room? That's, that's so clever. Fast I like that. It's so, the the, like the bass was so fast that 20 hertz was – 200 hertz wow. right exactly um but <laughs> so here's the thing is i believe that what's actually happening is that a lot of the two channel guys don't have uh a way to delay their main speakers to keep up with the the inherent delay of a subwoofer because it has dsp processing and has some additional latency Boom. and, and, and I, I would like to know about how much that would be if, let's say if i if i didn't want to do anything i just wanted to kind of guess add a certain amount of delay what what should i add for the for an, an svs sub well first we say is does the audio file even want to apply dsp <gasps> to the front channels right that that's generally verboten it's like oh no i can't do that uh, but to answer your question if you're willing to apply dsp to the front channels and you want to compensate for the dsp latency in the amplifier Mm -hmm. Our DSP chipset runs maybe around five milliseconds, somewhere in there. Okay. Yep. 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 All right. And if you can convert that to to feet, if you want, um, sound travels roughly at eleven 1 hundred feet per second, depending on how far above sea level you are. You can actually figure out what it is, and and then you can figure out what the what the delay, what that actually translates to in in physical distance. Say, okay, it's a five point five millisecond delay. Sound travels at at 1100 feet per second where i live uh and that equates to however many feet so that's the way to do it if you want to apply a delay and dsp processing to the front channels <clears throat> the other thing to look at is is uh you know when you say is the subwoofer fast enough mm -hmm. we get into a discussion of you know what's transient response well, if the subwoofer can play the signal, can play the frequency in question, it by definition has <laughs> adequate transient response because it's playing the frequency, right? If it can't play the frequency, then then it doesn't have sufficient transient response at that frequency, but they, it can play all of the frequencies in the bass bandwidth. So when we talk about subwoofer speed, really what we're talking about is the time domain behavior of the subwoofer how long does the subwoofer hang around in the time domain after the signal stops? And can you hear that 
bringing and do you perceive that as slow or plodding or overlapping with the beginning of the next note? That's really what the audiophile definition of subwoofer speed is. It's not how fast it starts. They mm -hmm. all start at the same rate because they're playing the same frequency. It's how long it hangs around afterwards in the time domain. And then we get into, okay, sealed versus ported. And a, a properly designed sealed subwoofer generally does have better time domain behavior than a, a ported subwoofer because the the port doesn't the port has a slug of air in it that that hangs around at the resonance tuning frequency of the port. Uh, and and if you ever look at the time domain behavior of a ported subwoofer, uh, you're gonna see what hangs out the longest is the port tuning frequency. It's like the tail of the comet, we call it. <gasps> So the whole thing slows slows down uniformly till you get to the port tuning system, and then the port uh, hangs around a little bit longer. Uh, can you hear that? Well, if the port's tuned to 20 hertz or deeper, probably not. Um, if the port's tuned to 35 hertz, like we had maybe small brick and mortar subs back in the 80s, they were all uniformly horrible, uh, maybe you could hear it back then. I think ported subs got a bad reputation on music. One, because they were just crappy brick and mortar designs, just poor subwoofer designs, bad drivers, bad amps, high distortion. But they were also had a very high tuning frequency. So there's a lot of group delay and 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 phase rotation in the audible music bandwidth. And you say, you know what, that, that sub really kind of sounds kind of slow, sloppy, overhang, plotting, whatever you want to call it, um, versus a properly designed sealed sub. Got that stop on a dime bass. That's what people call it. Well, <laughs> that's because it's not hanging around in the time domain. Right. Uh, okay. Right. So, so, has, so then by your, by, by what I'm, I'm gathering here, ported subwoofer is slower than a sealed subwoofer at the frequency because it hangs they can, out. They can hang around a little bit longer in the time domain. And, and that's, it's, you, and, all and you got how much is, time are we talking about? Are we talking about fractions of a second? Something that people won't actually notice. At, at port tuning, sure, you might you might see 200, 300 milliseconds of of uh, of of time domain delay. Not delay, but it's just it's just ringing. It's just, uh, it's it's just the, hanging out there. Yeah, it's just yeah. hanging out there. Um, so you look at like say a waterfall chart and yeah. say, all right, let, let's look at the time behavior of this. It's nice and uniform, and then the port comes on, and you see that little tail of the comet come whirling out into the into the third axis, and say, "Okay, the port's hanging around." But if if the port's tuned to twenty hertz or deeper, is it really audible? Not really. Not. Um, and, and and you can prove that. You can say, "All right, let's look at the PB sixteen Ultra, for example, or one of our tunable uh, subs. Let's look at the group delay chart for sealed mode versus ported mode." Well, they're damn near the same, all the way down to about 28 hertz, which means the phase delay, phase rotation, group delay, very similar down to 28 hertz. That's kind of below the music bandwidth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so we say a properly designed ported subwoofer with the tuning frequency pushed way down deep will have very similar time domain behavior as a sealed subwoofer, at least down into the upper 20s. Uh, and then they're going to start to diverge. And then really you're just looking at the differences in the design. What does a ported sub bring to the table that a sealed sub doesn't at the deepest frequencies? More output. So, you know, so I just was looking on this uh, uh, calculator. So what, five milliseconds, uh, would that equal what, about six feet? Is that right? Yeah, 
somewhere in that range. Sure. So if you have to guess. So here's the thing though. I, I think that what's happening with the audio file guys is maybe they're perceiving the, that delay. They, they can hear it. They can totally hear it. Those can you hear milliseconds? You, you think you can hear, I think, uh, you know, six feet of difference, you know, if you were to place a sub six feet difference, I mean, there might be some different things that happen. Well, if you I think, think and, and let's, let's take it one step further, Joe, what, what happens if we say, okay, let's compensate for the pure DSP latency of the amp. And mm-hmm. we're going to put the subwoofers six feet ahead of the speakers and say, all right, we've compensated for that. Mm-hmm. Does that necessarily take into account? We touched on this earlier. Does that take into account the differences in phase response between yeah. the speaker and the subwoofer? The answer is no. Um, yeah. So are you perfectly time aligning the speakers simply because you've compensated for that five milliseconds of DSP latency? No. Well, that would um, mean that they have to put the subwoofer six feet closer to them. You that's could put the sub six feet closer, feet but that's closer good. than the main speakers. That would be weird. I mean, but then you say, let's look at the phase response of the speakers and the phase response of the subwoofer. Are they the same? The answer still, is no. Still um, probably not. Yeah. Are, are they integrating beautifully in the time domain simply because we compensated for that five milliseconds of latency? The answer probably is no. Uh, yeah. So then you start noodling around and saying, well, what if I actually move them less than six feet? maybe five or four uh, to compensate for differences in their phase response, which again gets us back to, are we going to use Rumi Q wizard to Mm -hmm. measure and frequency response is King. So you could, you could move the speakers around to adjust for the DSP latency, but you're also really looking at the phase response of the speakers, phase response of the subwoofers and how nicely they're getting along with each other. Sometimes they don't get along nicely. I guess I had a, a, a wish list. For maybe some future iterations of some subwoofers, where because I would like the two channel guys, the audiophile guys, to start using subwoofers with DSP because I think that they would really enjoy the experience. You know, the fact that you can stuff we talked about that you can place a sub in various places. Maybe they're sitting in a null, but their speakers need to be there. But you can put the sub somewhere where it's not in a null. Right. You know things. Things like that, I think that they could really benefit if they would be will if they were willing. And so I was hoping that maybe a future iteration of somebody sub would add an RCA output. Not that I, I, they may never use it, but let's say some kind of RCA output where the RCA output and had an inherent delay um, to compensate. Uh, we so, had that feature. We had that feature uh, on on a previous generation of really platform. Nobody ever used it. It, it had an adjust. It had an adjustable time delay on the line out for the for the mains. What? And and uh, it it <laughs> nobody ever used it, so we got rid of it. Oh man, we're not, so Fred says we're not willing. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Sorry. It was it was there, and frankly, uh, if you are applying DSP to the mains, you really want something um, like the Mini DSP uh, HD that has the 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 resolution and bit rate um to do justice to high resolution uh audio soundtracks and and our amp just didn't have that back in the day that it wasn't able to do justice um to the to the full range signal being sent back out so i'm i'm joking here but how about instead of let's go the opposite of the direction then 
So how about a mode just disables all your DSP? No, no. Yeah, you <laughs> can't. Guys, you know what that is? We call that a passive subwoofer. <laughs> There's no amp in it at all. I'm joking. I'm yeah. joking. I, I like I like 20 hertz. So I have another question for you, and then this is the the last one for me. It's just basically, I've heard somebody say, "Well, do we really need 20 hertz? Is that really the uh, range of human hearing?" Just because I do hear a lot of uh, you know, producers who cut off the bass around 30 hertz, right, Chana? You know your PA speakers—they're not going down to twenty hertz. Well, they don't need to, right? They don't. Yeah, they're just trying to get loud. But yeah, I'm for me, twenty hertz is the the magic number. I say for somebody if they're buying a sub, save up your money and buy a sub that can do at least twenty hertz. Otherwise, you're gonna have to buy a sub for your sub. You know, that doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Just buy the one that gets down to twenty hertz. Now, some people like to go below twenty hertz, and yeah. I, I mean, I'm. I'm okay with that too, but maybe for the people who uh, maybe don't understand that yet, what what would be the reason to go to 20 hertz or sub 20 hertz? Is there do we need that? Well, we you know the, want it? the common misconception is that 20 hertz is the limit of audibility. It's not true. Um, the the audibility of of deeper frequencies is is what we call threshold dependent. Mm. It's just volume driven. Uh, we become increasingly insensitive to uh, deeper frequencies and our ability to perceive them. You know, we've, we've seen the equal loudness curves, the Fletcher mm -hmm. Watson equal loudness curves. That's what those are. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what the loudness control and DEQ and everything like that is based on. Um, but uh, if can we hear 15 hertz or 16 hertz? Yes. If it's loud enough, we can hear it. Uh, but generally, we perceive it more than mm -hmm. we hear it. Yep. Uh, say you're in a you're in a, a a church with a conventional a true pipe organ with 32 foot uh, uh, stops you know the big pipes and and when the organist right leans into that that 32 foot stop and, and that 16 hertz note gets pushed out into the church well what do you what do you perceive it's it's sort of like a pressure or a thickness in the mm -hmm. air rather than an audible note. You wow. can you can hear 16 hertz if it's loud enough, but generally it's like, wow, I can perceive that yeah. because I can feel this pressure, this thickness, this modulation in the air. Um, and that's what the subwoofer can bring to the presentation. If the sub can get down into the teens, it can render that, that infrasonic foundation, that pressure, that solidity. You know, a good one to try, and, and, and we've done it with our own tunable subs, the uh, Flight of the Phoenix remake with Dennis Quaid. Hmm. The, uh, Flight of the Phoenix. The, the, yeah, it's because the original one wasn't his, mm -hmm. uh, but that's the most popular. Oh. The plane crash scene where they're, where they're flying through the sandstorm, that has a lot of infrasonic buffeting uh, in it. And if you look at the soundtrack, You'll see a bunch of stuff at 13, 15, 17 hertz. Um, and Ooh. if you if you use one of our and you can isolate it, Joe, on your on your software and look at it. Mm -hmm. If you use one of our variable tune subwoofers and say, I'm gonna tune it to standard tuning 20 hertz, and I'm gonna listen to the plane crash scene. Now I'm gonna retune it to extended, which will get you down to 15, even 14 hertz in room. It's an obvious difference in the presentation. Why? You get that. We've all opened the windows in our car and felt that modulation and that buffeting. 
that's a lot of that's infrasonics. The same sensation when you tune the sub to extended mode and replay that whole scene, you can feel that solidity, foundation, and, and buffeting in the room that is much less present in the standard tune. So that's always a good example when I that I bring up and say, you know what, try this flight of the Phoenix crash scene and you'll see what huh. I'm talking about. Yeah, I got to check that one out. Uh, when I used to do more car audio stuff, uh, my friends used to used to say like, it sounds like we're underwater. Like, yeah, that. sure. Yeah, like underwater sound versus the if you you're not hitting those low notes, you're not so really even even if you can't it. hear it, you can perceive it, and it mm -hmm. and it does lend itself to influencing your your subjective perception of that passage. Well, definitely the other stuff in the room interacts a little bit differently when you have that type of extension. You may not audibly hear it but there's definitely some stuff happening in the room a lot of times oh yeah oh yeah, Get some stuff yeah. Down. Like, oh, I, man. I know I, I can i can hear 16 hertz in my living room that's when the um the wine glasses are shaking in the kitchen sure yeah start right? stuff starts what my son and i were watching a show once and and at the end of the scene the the mixing engineers mixed in some it was infrasonic it was very deep and it wasn't super loud, but it was loud enough. Uh, and as the scene ended, they kind of mixed it in just for some, maybe some menace and some tension. The whole couch started going like this, and we <laughs> couldn't hear anything. <laughs> I looked over at him. I said, did you feel that? And he said, yeah. And I said, back that up. I want to play it again. <laughs> and we played the scene again. It had to be somewhere around 15 hertz, and, and the whole couch was moving up and down like this, and the room was shuddering, but I couldn't hear a thing. That it was, it was just a cool moment, cool subwoofer moment. It's like, wow, impersonics matter. Uh, even if you can't hear them, you can sure perceive them. Add that to our Easter egg, Chana. So, <laughs> and then the 200 to 250 hertz, we're going to so, say something, have some infras, you know, make the beat infrasonic. <laughs> make the beat infrasonic. You know what I mean? Right. They can't they hear the kick drum, drum but they can feel. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all. So let's get to some of these questions. We have, yeah, we have a about like 15 started ones. Let's do kind of like a rapid fire thing. We, we good? Ed, you have to run soon? Can no, I'm good. Questions here? Okay. Yeah, let's knock out a couple lightning rounds. All right. All right. Here's, here's, uh, oh, go ahead. I, I, I was going to put that one up there too. Let's go super chat first. <laughs> We, we don't oh. talk about our product roadmaps publicly. That that's the most diplomatic answer I can I can give. All forward looking, forward thinking companies have new products in the works, including us. Um, that's not a secret, but we don't talk about the specifics. Eighteen inch. Uh, of, Just <laughs> zoom into the pictures in the back. Maybe there's like a little diagram or something in the background. Yeah. I notice I, I closed my closet because there's secret stuff in there that you guys can't see. Oh, uh oh, uh -oh. <laughs> Nick popped it like, hey, there's, <laughs> there's pictures of my son on the wall. That, that's all you can I did not expect to be added to the stream, but thank you. <laughs> it's like, I don't talk about anything, eh? See what you say. That's all you have to do. Just start. You know talking what? About, like, Nick was stuff. probably he was probably hitting the dump button. He's like he's like shut it. You can't talk about new products. <laughs> mute like, him. Yeah, mute I him. I, <laughs> I was lurking in the uh, audience. And, oh uh, man! Yeah, but all good. Just wanted to say hello and What's Ed, man, you are killing it. You are just an encyclopedia of low frequency uh, information. So We're having fun, aren't we? Oh, yeah. I'm enjoying Ed being here, man. He's, he's Mr. You. LFI, low frequency information. Right? Low frequency Ed. Come on, <laughs> oh, 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 damn. Yeah, look at that. LFE. 
Yeah. No, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin this with my lack of knowledge. So you, you guys put me in the waiting room. I'm just <laughs> absorbing as much as I can because I learn something every day from it. So Nick are you drinking? Too. It's got to be a part of it. I'm not. What are you drinking tonight? <laughs> What's that? What are you drinking tonight? Because we always talk about what we're drinking on the uh, on our happy hour. Yeah, shout go. out to Nick. Shout out to Nick. My, my voice people, is getting man. a little bit hoarse. I got nothing. My son oh. brought this home, and he's like, Dad, I'm drinking beer. He's six years old. And I'm like, that's that crazy water, liquid death. You've seen this. Nice. Oh, yeah. Branding. But, yeah, so I, I got one. How about that Death Wish so coffee? Exciting. Anybody ever tried Death Wish coffee yet? Oh, oh man, I've that's that. killer. Look, I've yeah, seen that. sounds awesome. Hmm. Hey, uh, Ed. All I right, want to collab with you on, the uh, on Nick's system, though. What's that? I know uh, he got his his new home theater system, and I'm bugging him like, "Hey, I wanna, I wanna see what we can do over there. Maybe I'll I can work with you and you know share some tips and tricks. Let's just say. Oh, for on sure. On the calibration, we gotta we gotta get Nick's system dialed in. Treatments are coming. You need some room treatments in there. Yeah, they're maybe. coming soon. Yeah. All right. That's you tell, next happy hour. tell me I'm not a liar. You're when the, when you get those room treatments put in and you rerun setup, different system. Oh, I'm sure. Different yeah, I have no system. doubt. I've heard the difference in friend system. So it's amazing. Think, yeah, it, there's a, just a little bit of an echo up there, a little resonance that you know that alone cleaning that up will make a huge difference. When I did them in my reference theater around the corner, wow, uh, I was just unreal. The difference. Yeah, so right. we'll we'll get Nick. We, I want to get you all set up. Oh, we'll get Nick. I need more than 20 minutes though. I mean, I'm off the road after this week, so I'll have some time <laughs> home finally. Headed to oh. Wayne, New Jersey for an event this Thursday. If you got oh, any from the Wayne area. I was just saying how, like, uh, you know, I, I wanted some more time to do your uh, your room, but you guys had all these obligations. So I was just telling people, uh, check them out next time if you want to see what what I did. But I just yeah. didn't have enough time. So Yeah, next, next time kinda... the obligation needs to be magic beans that's the yeah that's that's the obligation next people time. think we travel and it's like all you know hanging out and partying and stuff it's like there's so uh, many obligations and you know trying to make the most of these trips so but I, that will absolutely will build in time for that because it's important enough i even i invited nick to come over to the house and he didn't yeah. he, he chose to get tacos instead <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, uh, 50 feet from my hotel so i could get back and go to sleep <laughs> yeah, right. well good seeing you man Thank you. Thank you guys. Great me job, Ed, man. So, um, we have a, okay. So we have that. What other super chats we have? Uh, project X. Thank you for the super chat. He says amplifier damping factor affect this too. I'm not sure exactly what he's speaking. Maybe he's talking about how fast we're talking about how fast. and yes, slow. Yeah. He's referring to how well the amplifier can control the signal, um, and prevent ringing. Uh, and and the damping factor of the amplifier is orders of magnitude shorter and and and, and less audible than we're than ringing in the time domain from a loudspeaker or a subwoofer or even the room itself. Uh, I mean, have you ever been in a room where the signal stopped and the suspended ceiling tiles wiggle around for half a second? I mean, that's <laughs> that's an example of the room itself is ringing. For three, four, five, six hundred milliseconds, um, we're the so the damping factor of the amplifier not relevant in this discussion because it's 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 so much better uh, than the loudspeakers in the room itself that it, it's 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 really a non it's a non event. Well, I've seen other subwoofer companies that have like servos and things like that, and I've always told people, you know, if you have a good enough, powerful enough amplifier, it'll control the sub, it'll control the driver. 
it, it, it does everything it needs to do. So it's you know. the it, it, it's also a combination of the motor um, yeah. and and how, how strong the field strength is in the motor and how well uh, it controls the the voice coil motion and and the the weight of the moving mass of the driver. This uh, you know the the spiders and the cone and the surround and everything like that all factors. Um, mm -hmm. uh, into it. But again, it gets back to, can the subwoofer play that frequency? Yes. Well, it has adequate transient response. Again, we get back to what's the time domain behavior of the entire system, not just the driver, but the whole system. Mm. All right. Yeah. We have this one here. Thank you for the super chat, Victor. Opinion on one large ported sub versus two sealed. Well, if you're looking at strictly at output, Let's talk about in the same family of subs, maybe a PB2000 Pro and an SP2000 Pro. What's max output of the two at different frequencies? Well, from about 50 hertz on up, 50 to 100 hertz, are pretty darn close because we're just talking amp and, and woofer at that point. Once you get down around 40 hertz and deeper, the cabinet size really starts to matter. So we have a much bigger cabinet on the, on the PB2000 Pro. Uh, so at 40 hertz, PB2000 Pro has roughly one and a half times higher dynamic output. At 32 hertz, it has twice the dynamic output. At 25 hertz, it has three times the dynamic output. And at 20 hertz, four times the dynamic output. Wow. You, you would literally need four SP2000 Pros to match one PB2000 Pro in output only at 20 hertz. Now, if you said to me, Ed... Would you take four SP2000 Pros or one PB2000 Pro? Well, four SPs hands down because they're equal at 20 and the SPs slaughter it everywhere else, right? And so you're getting way more output in the more common base ranges and you're getting the benefit of multiple subs in the room from a modal distribution standpoint and everything like that. Um, so we really got to look at what are the needs of the, of, of the, the user in that size room? Can they play... Can one sealed sub play loud enough to satisfy their playback level in that room? Or do they need two sealed subs? Or maybe do they need a ported sub? Maybe they're just limited to one subwoofer. A single sealed sub can't play loud enough for them. So they got to go for a ported sub because dynamic compression is a lot more egregious than differences in time domain behavior. So say you're overloading a small sealed sub that can't handle a big room and you're trying to play, you know, the latest avengers blockbuster movie at, at reference level well it, it just can't play that loud at in, in the 18 to 36 hertz octave which is where all that lfe lives right yeah. um, and, and a larger ported sub can it can play multiple times louder so sometimes it makes sense to have a ported sub in, in your application if you're really looking at room filling a big room and and and, and dynamics are really important um, but other times the sealed subwoofer, I, I always like to say there's nothing a ported sub can do that a sealed sub can't do better except for max output. Um, hmm. I run sealed subs in, in my own reference system. Why? Because ultimately I get better time domain behavior um, and I have enough output in my system so it doesn't matter to me. I don't need ported subs in my system. I have enough sealed subs and hmm. I'm benefiting from the time domain behavior and I'm benefiting from taking better advantage of room gain my subs are flat to eight hertz in my reference theater because they're sealed and i'm taking better advantage of room gain than a ported sub can 
So there's really advantages to sealed subs in certain applications. I'm a big fan of them for that reason. So, you know, it's one of those things we have a running joke in our, 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 our own, uh, sorry, I'm losing my voice in our own uh, broadcast happy hour. We say, well, it depends. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah uh, real quick. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about people that want to throw in one of these into their home theater? Wow. What a beauty that is. <laughs> you know, the, the, the PA style subwoofers have incredible, amazing output um, from about 35 Hertz on up. That's what they're designed to do. Uh, tons of slam and impact. That sub can probably play 140, 145 dB. Uh, it's not designed for a home theater. It's designed for stage use. Yeah. I, I mean, I always say to keep keep them separate. Keep the pro audio stuff to the pro audio people. The home theater stuff just just buy the buy a home theater sub. You buy can. You know, I, I want to mix it up. It I want to uh, put an guys... stroker in a in a box. A yeah. stroker in a box. I yeah. mean, how how much? How much output do you really need? Well, you know, you know, funny thing. In your own like, system. That's that's really the question that you need to answer. Right. We had a we had a little barbecue for Father's Day yesterday. <clears throat> um, shout out to all dads. Um, I don't know if you're a dad, Ed. Yep, I am. Okay, happy Father's Day. Thank Related. you. Um, and they're all going to this um festival uh tomorrow or t- tonight or whatever, and they were watching some bass music, um, like DJ sets in there and Joe Joe and I just done the magic beans on the system upstairs and it has this two 15 inch sealed subs and they're like where's the bass I thought you just fixed this where's the bass and I, I turned up the volume I'm like we got to turn up the volume and they're like well can't you just turn up the bass I'm like well I don't want to just turn up the bass when the volume's at 30 and then they were just like well we uh they're like we don't hear any bass we didn't hear me I'm like okay screw it so I just went to the back of the sub and Jack the level yeah. all the all the way to plus, and they're like, yeah, right, yeah. right. It's, you know, that's man. that's all they wanted. It's not accurate. It's not a, a good reproduction of the sound. But it, if it's you, loud, that's if it. You, it's loud, and if you've grown up with you know subs and car audio, and you got the slamming bass, that's that's what you're that's what you like. If if you're like going clubbing, <clears throat> I mean, let's face it, you go into a club. What's hammering you in the in the chest? The subs. Yeah, they're way louder than they should be. Uh, but that's what people like in clubs. So hey, but hey, it, that's where me, you man, find I, that's I, in Vega. That'd I I, I, I DJ. I, I produce electronic music, so I know. I know. Sure. One hundred percent. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, another super chat from Alex the Great. We want want to hear from the man Ed. Price performance considered. What sub from your lineup are you picking for a fourteen by ten room? 12 foot ceilings. Now, see, that, that's a pretty small room mm-hmm. from a cubic foot standpoint. Oh, it's fairly yeah. tall ceilings. Um, but that room, I would, you're going to have quite a bit of room gain in that room, which is a natural augmentation of, of the deepest frequencies um, when the room transitions from a, a, a modal to a pressure zone. The room won't support standing waves below a certain frequency. And, and when that happens, it starts augmenting the low end output of the subwoofer, mm. uh, which we call that room gain. So in that size room, I would probably run a sealed sub and take advantage of the room gain so I could um, get extra deep extension. And then really the question is, how loud do you want to play the system? Yeah. 
And that in turn dictates what model or models we would recommend. So uh, it, I mean, the, the 3000, the SB 3000s, I feel like they're such a sweet spot for everything. Like, is. Uh, with the whole lineup, I mean, all of pretty much every sub that I've ever tried from you guys <clears throat> is excellent. You know, yeah. I wouldn't say, oh, this one's this one. Nah, stay away from this one. I haven't tried the super old stuff, but like, right, right, you know, right, I have right, a PB right. 1000 Pro, have yeah. SB 3000. They have the 3000 micro, you know, they all have their certain. Yeah. They're, they're all designed for certain applications, certain niche. Uh, I would say in that size room, uh, if you're going to play at a pretty loud level uh, movies, I, I'd throw a pair of SB 3000s in there. That, that, so, that, that would be really nice. So this room is 10 by 14 with eight foot ceiling. And I have a PB 1000 pro in here. You're talking about two SB 3000s? Man, it's yeah. damn, damn. It's going to be loud. It'll shake the shit out of everything, bro. Well, okay. If, if, Chana, you went back and did that to the to the game and cranked it up. But if, if it's, okay. right. if it's level matched, if both of them are level matched, right, with the rest of the system, it's going to sound great. You're going to get the extra deep extension from room gain. And you're going to have adequate dynamic headroom to capture those loud passages when they occur without dynamic compression. That's the key. When you add sub in the system, a lot of people will be like, oh, you're over-subbing the room. It's going to be too powerful. No, it's not. Uh, If it's level matched, it'll be exactly what it needs to be. And it'll have headroom too. Yes. it, It will scale up and hit those loud peaks without compression and that's what adds realism to the presentation and then it steps back and does the subtle background stuff and and supports the audio track and the speakers without drawing attention to itself the biggest mistake somebody can make is to undersub the room and then turn up the gain to Mm. compensate for it because the quiet subtle bass is way too loud and the really loud bass doesn't get loud enough because the subwoofer hits its compression limits. Huh. So what have you done? You've taken the dynamic range and you crush Squashed it. it. So yeah. all the quiet bass know. is way too loud. All the loud bass doesn't get any louder. So it turns into this massive droning mess. Uh, and you've lost all the dynamic range of the soundtrack and the presentation suffers. It sounds awful. I and like it. Really I like, I like you. Headroom, headroom, headroom. That's what you yeah. need in the system. You're making a lot of sense. I love it. I love all the sense that you're making because, you know, I went on a little bit of rant about stuff that I hear out there. And so it's very refreshing to me to have you on here talking about stuff that makes sense. And sense. and actually, it's not just theory, but it's obvious that you've tried these things. And and that's what I really like is to hear somebody's real world experience. Like we've taken the subs outside and we flipped the switch and, you, you know, theory is sometimes it doesn't align all the time so mm-hmm. taking the time to put in the work try things out i really respect that you know that's why i love roomy q wizard and and having your own microphone mm. how many of us have seen the you know standing wave calculators right and say okay <laughs> i'm gonna have the standing wave right here in the room and, and i'm gonna yeah. avoid it. and and how many times have we seen that doesn't align with reality when you actually take a frequency response measurement and say, huh, well, that, that that's not what the calculator says. Well, I'm like, well, it takes 30 the, seconds. Just measure it. Right. The, seconds, they'll tell you right now where the knowledge real world trumps 
Trump's theory every time. And that's that's why you learn the most when you actually break out the microphone and start measuring and listening. I'm the guy who spends all night. I'll, I'll mess around with different random things all night so that when I come on here or if I make a video and I say something, I know from experience. You yeah. know, I just, and of course, I read the books too. you know, kind of tie them together. But a lot of times it's just that little little extra bit of uh, knowledge, you it's, know, personal it's experience. It's fun when you experiment and, and you build up your knowledge base based on actual factual data, measurements and observations. So here's uh, from uh, one of our patrons. I don't want to just only do the super chats. Uh, I don't want you guys thinking you have to pay, you know, to have us put your stuff up. But it helps. It definitely helps. It shows up in a yellow color here. It kind of makes it obvious to us. It helps. But, all right. So, Paul, he says, at what frequency is the phase adjustment? What frequency when you say uh, frequency dependent? dependent yeah. How does the sub know what the physical phase knob should be adjusting? See, Paul, I got you. I did some. Uh, I even translated for you there. Well, it's it, probably the easiest way to describe this one would be, let's say you set the phase control from uh, to 30 degrees of phase delay. Uh, and the amplifier is actually implementing this this phase change in the to the signal, um, and, and we say, uh, what is what is thirty degrees of phase rotation at eighty hertz? And you can actually figure out what that is from a frequency and a wavelength standpoint. And then the rhetorical question is, is that the same as thirty degrees of phase rotation at twenty hertz or even sixteen hertz? And the answer is no. Um, uh, because of the differences in the wavelengths uh, of the frequencies. So that's really, the, uh, to me, the best way to, to describe it. Uh, so when you adjust phase delay on the amplifier and on the subwoofer, um, that phase delay is frequency dependent, and you're dialing in 15, say, 15 or 30 degrees of phase rotation. Um, that's not uniform um, uh, across the entire bandwidth uh, of the subwoofer. I guess I'm not sure if this is what he meant, but is there a certain frequency that it, it, it centers around or? Yeah, typically, typically okay. year for years and years and years. SBS it, it was, it, it was 80 Hertz forever. Ah, okay. Uh, it's a little bit lower now. I, I think the center frequency of, of the phase control might be maybe closer to 60 Hertz. Hmm. But okay. I, I'd, have, I'd have to check it, but forever and ever it was 80 Hertz. That was the phase control. Uh, that was the center frequency of the phase control. Okay. All right. So a few more here. Um, so here's this bright yellow box here that's saying project X $10 super chat. Thank you. He says, I've noticed a difference in LFE output between two subs swapped in the same enclosure, higher output at 20 Hertz, older sub with, FS of around 21 hertz versus the same model with stiffer suspension, uh, uh, FS of 35 hertz. The yep. TS, TS parameters, still small parameters. Yep. So he's getting real advanced over here. Well, you know, basically, so you got the same size cabinet mm -hmm. and you have uh, two woofers, um, one of them uh, with, an, with a, a, a deeper FS, meaning that woofer wants to, wants to have more output or, or live at a deeper frequency versus one. Uh, with, with uh, a higher resonance frequency. So you would see this revealed in the differences in the frequency responses as well. Um, so you would sweep both subwoofers and one of them would have the one with a uh, FS of 35 Hertz that would have a peak 
uh, uh, around that frequency, depending on the box size. Uh, but that one would want to have more uh, mid and upper bass output simply because of the TS parameters and the way it's designed. Um, the other one would, would have higher, deeper bass output, um, but possibly at the expense of mid and upper bass output. So it really depends on what the design goals are, how big the box is, whether it's sealed, whether it's ported, um, <clears throat> where, where you want the woofer to have uh, 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 the, uh, the resonance frequency and, and more natural output. There's, there's a lot that, that goes into it. Um, you know, you wouldn't want to have a, a woofer with uh, a, a very uh, lively and, and pronounced resonance frequency and hump in the frequency response that, we, that you would have to EQ out afterwards. Um, so you want to sort of design the TS parameters of the woofer and the cabinet size and the cabinet, whether it's base reflex or sealed, they're all interrelated with each other. So when you're doing the design phase and you're looking at your modeling and the TS parameters of the driver and say, all right, we want a decent sized sealed cabinet, like the SB16 Ultra, um, you know, and, and we design the TS parameters of that driver to, to live and have a decent looking frequency response in that size cabinet. Before we even start applying EQ to the system, we've already pre-designed that woofer to live in that size enclosure and behave the way we want it to. I love how you describe the FS as where does a sub want to live? It is. <laughs> it's the, the freer resonance frequency of the, uh, of the driver. That's where it has the highest, you know, you see, measure it in, the, in free air. Where does this subwoofer, where does this driver want to have, where does it want to live? Where does it want to have the most output? That's um, great. And that's, that's the resonance frequency of that driver as a, as a system, which are the, the teal small parameters. I guess you have to be a super nerd to be like, oh, I, I see what you mean. That's where it just wants to hang out. But the DIY guys, the, they get all that stuff. They've got, yeah. they've got all the modeling programs, and they, they um, can, can spec the woofer that they want to, for that particular application. Well, uh, okay. Uh, hi, Finest. Thank you for the super chat. I have an open concept room with dual SB16s. I have the left sub in the corner, which has 6 dB room gain over the right sub, open to the kitchen. Is this the best positioning, or should I flank the TV? You know, and what it is, he's actually talking about boundary gain. Um, mm -hmm. That that sub's just louder in that location of the room than than the other sub. Six dB literally is a doubling of the output, so one subwoofer is playing twice as loud as the other. You, if you want to level match them, which is what we do recommend, um, you've got to run six dB higher gain. On the, on the other one, one that's near yeah. the open area, and this again, this just gets back to um, we normally start with a corner uh, and and work from there. But the one that's near the opening of the room with less boundary gain is going to be working a lot harder, um, which might not be a big deal unless you're pushing the entire system really loud, and then that sub, even though it's an SB16, it's going to hit its limits. 6 dB sooner than the other one because oh, you're, right, you're yeah. running at 6 dB hotter. So oh, that wow. one could run into compression, dynamic compression artifacts earlier uh, and potentially have some, some issues. So I would say if there's a 6 dB delta in output between those two subs at the same gain setting, I would say look for a better location for that second subwoofer and, and get it away from that permanent opening. All right. Awesome. All right. Two more, two more here. And, uh, I think that's that's it for right now. So Project X, thank you for the super chat again. He said, I heard Sir Juan Vega, thoughts? 
I know they're one of the few left who still produce old school format towers with large drivers. I wonder if they still have those red surrounds. Yeah, I, I think they, they do, do actually. You guys should do blue surrounds. That'll be your thing. Blue surround, can you do it? Yeah, huh? we can do it. But you know, <laughs> Sir with Vega, they they've been around forever. Their <laughs> reputation back in the day was they could play loud and clean, and and they could. Um, and and they're 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 sort of an iconic brand. So I, I don't I don't throw shade on on any brands really. No. How could you uh, throw shade on Serwin Vega? Yeah, you, you know, Serwin Vega is a cool brand. Um, I, they're just not a mainstream home theater, mainstream audio anymore. Um, yeah. I, I'm just not seeing them uh, for for sale in the normal retail channels, at least that that we live in. Like say, you yeah. know, you're you're looking at what you know what are the top brands like you know. Uh, uh, BMW and Focal and and Klipsch and Polk and 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 SVS, um, but but you know it's it's an iconic brand and and they've and and they still perform really well. Yeah, I think it's just the ownership changes hands and then you know it's just a name. Sometimes I don't know. I haven't reviewed any of the new stuff, but I would take an old Serwin Vegas Stroker. I'm telling you, yeah, like a home theater box and have like the the only home theater Stroker. Plus the name, right? It, the name's awesome. it's boss, Serwin Vega. Just you know, cut notes because, power, right? <clears throat> yeah, it's it's Serwin Vega's vintage. It just sounds know, good. It's, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it does. It's it's good stuff. I I'm blue surround. I'm telling you, that's a free one. Nick yeah. can you, Nick can uh, write that one down. The phone doesn't fall apart. You know, <laughs> got to stick together. Got to use the new stuff. Um. All right, so Juan, thank you for the super chat. This will be the last one, I think. Uh, he says, I had to dis disassemble the speaker to add custom vinyl wrap, and now I don't know which color wire set from the crossover corresponds to which driver. Well, see, that that's an interesting one because, it, it, oh, it's prime center. So, you know, if you're looking at a three-way crossover, the woofers, like, say, let's take a sub for an easier example. You mm -hmm. say a subwoofer what what is absolute polarity in the driver well you just take it you can take a nine volt battery and, and <laughs> touch it to the terminals and if if the woofer bumps out that is the correct polarity and say and obviously you got to go positive to positive negative to negative and, and say all right well now i know what's positive and what's negative but if you look at the crossover network and you understand crossover design there are phase rotations in the crossover network in when you're high passing and low passing going from the woofers to the mid-range mid-range to the tweeter um and it becomes a lot fuzzier and a lot more of a gray area and you say all right is this actually positive and negative and and uh <clears throat> all of our speakers do have uh markings on them and you should be able to determine what's positive and what's negative on mm -hmm. on each driver um okay, because they, they it that should have a mark actually on the uh, speaker tab. I mean, and if, you, and if you do that to the tweeter and it moves forward, then that's bad news. <laughs> and, and you would never do that, right? You only yeah. do that to the only do bump test on the woofer. Never uh, bump test a, a, a you could do it to a mid range driver, maybe one and a half volt battery. <laughs> but if you bump test a tweeter <laughs> with nine volts DC, you oh, can well. probably kiss that tweeter goodbye. Yeah. That, that'll be the, uh, hey. the end of it. <laughs> so, uh, Juan, what I would do is I would just order another one from Amazon, open it up, and be like, oh, these go here, those go there. Pop it back in. Return and it. If, if, <laughs> if he's a prime, if he's a prime center owner, 
he can contact us in customer service oh, and go. and we can tell him how the crossover network connects to the drivers if and if for some reason he took it apart. Yeah, you guys have great customer service. And if you had REW and a U mic, you could probably see which way measures. Oh yeah, of course. If you if you wired the mid range wrong, that would show up immediately <laughs> uh, in, in the frequency response. <laughs> that would be a big suck out in the mid range. All right, so that's pretty much it. Again, thank you, Project X, for the additional super chat. Um, let me see. What I think, you know what? Let me just say this one, just because um, Bodhi is also a, a patron of ours. Uh, he says, "Ed, my living room is ten by ten with a art arch opening dead in the back and a doorway to the kitchen on the side. Where should I put my two SB one thousand pros? Put them in the corners." <laughs> <laughs> like we talked about earlier, I, I, I don't put them near uh, permanent openings because you're going to get less boundary gain uh, and less output from the system. Start with the corners so you can get good boundary gain and the highest standing wave density in the room and go from there. All right. Uh, all right. So I'm getting. Uh, OK, let's wrap it up. Somebody says that you need your voice for tomorrow. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm losing my voice for sure. All right. Well, thank you again, uh, Ed. Uh, let's see here. Anything else, Chana? You want to wrap it up? Hang out. Uh, don't don't hit end at the end of this, Ed. I just have a question for you. Sure. Um, but yeah, what else do you need to say? Any any things? Anything else we need to say, Chana? Um. Uh. Other than you know, make sure if you're buying subwoofers, you oh, guys merch uh, purchase from SVS. Uh, yeah. Check out check out SVS the subwoofers. Um, you know, we're, course, we're always happy to come on and drop knowledge. It, it's, uh, it's just fun to cross pollinate our shows. We had, we had, uh, uh, you guys on as a guest, uh, earlier and, and it was great. And I'm, I'm happy to return the favor. It's really just about sharing of knowledge, isn't it? Yeah. And, and sense of community. <clears throat> it really doesn't have much to do in the end with, with a brand at all. Uh, we work all day long with customers who have different brand electronics and loudspeakers and and subwoofers in some cases so it, it's okay uh it, it's really about knowledge sharing and to me uh and community so that's what this is all about and awesome. thank you for thank you for having me and thank you for being uh, on the show well i like to say to support the people who care about you the people who are giving back to the community community i'd rather support support those companies than the guys that are just a, you know just a just a name you never see any people so I'm happy to support you guys. So thank you. You've always been good to me. And I notice yeah. I know you guys support your customers. Um, so I'm happy to recommend you guys. It says here, uh, so real quick, daily hi-fi crew merch. You see that? Look at that. Boom. Get That's some, right. Get some new merch. It's uh you can go shop.dailyhifi.com and you'll see it down below. What else? Uh we have our Audio only version of the podcast. <laughs> Stop it, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Anchor.fm forward slash daily hi fi. And we have our after show where we just talk with you guys. So, patreon.com forward slash daily hi fi if you want to become a patron. And thank you guys to everybody who supported on this one. And thank you to Ed. And thank yeah. you to Nick for making this happen. Thank you, SVS. And Chana, of course, my man. Take us out, bro. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. This is the Daily Hi-Fi Podcast. We do this every Monday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. 
Make sure if you're watching on the replay to subscribe to the channel and be here for the live show to ask your questions. On behalf of uh, my man Joe and our special guest today, Ed, see you guys next time.